more shocking and brazen developments out of China. Xi Jinping's purges continue all under the guise of reform, of course. But is it coincidence that all these political things keep happening at the same time China's economy and its financial system fail to respond to escalating efforts from Beijing trying to stabilize the situation? Because that kind of economic downside represented by continuing weakness in the face of stimulus or the potential for financial disruption no matter what authorities do, that's more than just a little bit of inconvenient opposition in the political sphere. It's, it's enough to cause instability, not just inside or for China, but that potential to spill over around the rest of the world in a number of different ways. And the more the Chinese do to try to arrest the situation, the worse you know it is, including in this political realm. We got a boatload of economic and financial data to go over, as well as the latest developments in China's government. But before we get to those, I wanna remind you, or I wanna tell you about an inter interview or conversation I just had with Jim Rickards about his time at LTCM, which was, like China today, a pretty, cr pretty crucial crossroads moment for the Eurodollar system. In fact, because of that, it is related to the predicament that China finds itself in. LTCM was a warning about all of the downside potential for the Eurodollar way of doing re global reserve currency. If you wanna get some of the insights from someone who was there, Check out that interview I did with Jim Rickards. Part of that is on YouTube. That's the last video we posted. Or if you're a member or subscriber, look for it at the Eurodollar University website. You may have heard last week or the week before that U.S. intelligence agencies issued a, an update, an assessment on the situation that they see unfolding in China after, at the end of last year, the National Party Congress in China did some things that caught a lot of people's attention. Suddenly, nine senior military officials were, were thrown out of the NPC or unceremoniously left off of its ranks, which is a key crucial sign because as a member of the NPC, that gives you political as well as legal immunity. You can't be arrested and charged. But if you're no longer part of the NPC, suddenly you're open to a corruption charge, for example. And it wasn't just these nine military officers that caused the stir. There were other, other things that have gone on in China's top levels of leadership that have raised some eyebrows. So the U.S. intelligence agencies issued this assessment that you've probably heard, all these missiles that are apparently filled with, with water instead of fuel, vast fields of missile silos throughout China where the doors that would swing open allow the missiles to shoot out and fly they don't work either. Basically, we're supposed to believe that there's a massive amount of corruption across China's military, especially where it comes to its crucial rocket forces. But mm, is that really the case here? Is that the, is that the story that U.S. intelligence agencies are giving us because they want to give us the sense of China's corruption crackdown as a legitimate reform to something that we already are well aware of. Is there more going on here than just, hey, there's a bunch of corrupt defense officials stealing money from the Chinese government? Because on December 29th, um, China's top legislative body, which is the National People's Congress, unseated nine defense figures, including five who were linked to the missile force and at least two from the Equ Equipment Development Department, which is charged with arming the military. And of those nine, 
Three were former commanders or vice commanders of the People's Liberation Army Rocket Force. One was a former, former, one was a former Air Force chief and one a Navy commander responsible for the South China Sea. And four of those officers, at least according to Reuters, were responsible for equipment. And here's the quote that I want to give you. Analysts say that while the Chinese military has long been known for corruption, the extent of the latest crackdown and the involvement of the PLA's rocket force is shocking. And it raises a bunch of questions, including why now? Did something actually change that caused Xi Jinping to take a second look at the rocket forces in particular? But is it more, is it deeper than just corruption in the, in the procurement of these vital pieces of equipment? Is it all about just corruption in the military or is Xi Jinping using this as an excuse to send a key message to potential opposition? This didn't just begin at the end of last year. Of course, we had the, the uh, Chinese finance minister who unceremoniously disappeared in the middle of last summer. Then the defense minister, who is somewhat related to these rocket force people, he suddenly disappeared, disappeared too in September, I believe, and he hasn't been seen since either. There was a meeting back in the middle of July when China was issuing its 31-point plan for economy. Xi Jinping gathered senior military officials into in Beijing and had a little powwow where he told them and reinforced the message to them that the Chinese Communist Party should and always will be in charge of the military. So don't you think otherwise? What he said was, well, what he emphasized was that convening this military-wide party-building meeting will be crucial to consolidating the achievements of our military and strengthening party leadership and party-building since the 18th National Congress of the Communist Party of China and in creating the party's leadership and party-building in our military in the new era and new journey. It was a subtle but very, very clear message that China's party rules the military and China's party is ruled by one guy, Xi Jinping, 18th Party Congress. That's when he came to power. Everything flows from Xi, even through the military. In addition to these nine People's Liberation Army officials and the Rocket Force officials who were booted out of the NPC, there were also three Chinese defense technology officials who were likewise ousted from the National People's Congress. And Axios reported this little interesting nugget. These officials' removal may engender political instability among the political leadership, said Wen T. Sung, a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council's Global China Hub. Three members of the powerful Politburo also once worked at the same three companies of the ousted officials. In China's opaque high-level politics, that kind of link between powerful officials and fallen officials could mean she is targeting patronage networks. He is definitely sending a message that if you step out of line, suddenly you might be a corrupt official or you might be labeled as a corrupt official and what are you going to do about it then? It does seem more and more as if she isn't just interested in reforming the military and getting corruption out of its processes. It seems to be as much a political influence targeted at anyone who might be dissatisfied with Xi's handling of a whole variety of factors. Under the guise of reform, because 
in this type of environment, it's easier to sell reform. It's easier to maintain control among the public if the public has this belief that you're attempting to do some kind of public good by removing officials without any prior notice or any type of public proof behind any of these allegations and charges. So if the people think you're a reformer, reformer acting on their behalf with these brazen officials who are filling up missiles with water instead of fuel, who build these inadequate military facilities that won't work in the time of, of great military and uh, national emergency, of course you're going to give Xi Jinping the benefit of the doubt. And of course you're a Politburo member who suddenly sees a former official or official that a company that used to you have an involvement with, or maybe you're still involved with, I think the message gets sent and received loud and clear. Don't step out of line lest you find yourself in the same shoes. Now, whether the missiles filled with water and the silos that don't work is just the U.S. military or U.S. intelligence agencies filling in some gaps or trying to send a message to the U.S. public or the Western public or anybody else, that's not clear. But what is clear is that these things are indeed happening at the upper levels of China's leadership. There is a purge underway. And as always, going all the way back to Stalin, it's done under the guise of reform. But we do have to question the timing here. The timing which gets more and more confirmed and established as more and more data comes out of China. And it looks less and, like, less, and less like what we imagine it should be, especially given the fact that, remember, it was only a couple months ago when everybody said China's economy had turned a corner. The fact that it fails to turn a corner or the corner that's been turned is in the wrong direction, I think goes hand in hand with the purges that we continue to see among China's top level leadership. And of course, as I said, it raises a number of questions, starting with why now? Why last year? Did China just discover missiles filled with water? Or is that just the excuse as China's economy becomes more and more difficult, as China's financial system exhibits more and more signs of danger? So as I mentioned last week, the Chinese reported a whole bunch of economic price as well as financial statistics. And well, let's start with the best of them, which were not good. Imports and exports. According to the General Administration of Customs in China, exports increased by 2.3% year over year. Not only is that, is that a dollar value number, that is comparing to last year when China was still emerging from its lockdowns. Exports last year had been down 10% year over year, so exports only bounced back by 2% from a down month last year. So those are not really good numbers. Exports to the U.S. were down 7% year over year in December of 2023. So U.S. demand for Chinese products, at least those shipped directly from China, still not picking up. Uh, imports. Chinese imports were basically unchanged in December of 2023 from December of 2022. Again, lockdowns, all that stuff. In December 2022, imports had been down by 7%. So basically the same level, same dollar value of imports into China for the second straight December. So these are actually the best of the numbers we're going to get to. And as far as we're talking, you know, we're talking about oil prices and OPEC, China reported that they only imported 4.8 million tons of crude oil, which shows that there's been a substantial drop off over the previous four months, the final four months of last year, which just so happened to be when we started to see oil prices really go down and OPEC tried to do something, tried, tried to do more to stabilize the situation. 
So 4.8 million tons in December. The four-month moving average is just 4.6 million tons, which is the least since April. So China's using much less crude oil. The export trade business imports, even despite the fact that Beijing is going to be building a lot of stuff with its stimulus, imports are not surging like you would expect, which suggests that in the private economy, not a lot is being imported for however much more the government is bringing in to do a bunch of stuff that's just going to waste resources. And it only gets worse from there because the Chinese also reported consumer and producer price estimates for the month of December too. China's CPI was up to 0.1% on the month, reversing the very sharp decline in November because of food prices. Food prices had been down in November. They shot back up by almost a full percent in December, but non-food prices actually declined month over month in December, which is why the consumer price index only managed to be just barely positive in December. On a yearly basis, the CPI was still negative for the third consecutive month. And the only time you see negative year-over-year -year CPIs, the only time we have seen negative CPIs in China, that's 2020 and 2009. So that's not a really good comparison to be making here. China's PPI, which is as much a reflection of external demand for what China makes, again, increasingly negative. That was down 0.3% in December, which is the same de decline as it was in November. So you had two straight negatives after a period where producer prices rebounded with oil, producer prices rebounded with the latest bout of stimulus uh, in China. But then like everything over there, it doesn't last more than a couple months before it starts rolling over and turning negative all over again. On a year over year basis, producer prices were down 2.7% in December. And they've been negative year over year for 15 straight months, which is a crucial cyclical indicator of how it's going across the rest of the global economy. So as China was last year expecting and hoping as much of an external contribution from an accelerating Europe, an accelerating U.S. strong labor market, all that, it just never happened. Instead, they're still getting the downside of the inventory cycle, which is having a negative impact not just on the industrial sector, but spilling over everywhere else. And we see that in China's negative PPI. And same for factory gate prices too, which are basically in line with the PPI. The most important statistics, however, from the PBOC, the Financial Statistics Report, as well as total social financing. Of all places, you would, ex you would expect that China's banking system, which is very top-heavy, very top-down, very much influenced, if not commanded by authorities, would be responding as expected to all of these stimulus efforts. If it would be showing up anywhere, it should be showing up in China's banks, especially its big banks, but it's not. Instead, the PBOC just reported for the month of December, the total stock, the total outstanding stock of local currency RMB loans only increased by 10.6% year over year. And 10.6% sounds like a huge, terrific number, but that is, again, the lowest on record. China's banks continue to set new record lows month after month in the face of all of this government effort. So what is it that China's banks are doing? Well, we know what they're doing. What is, what is it that China's banks are seeing that is causing them to look at Beijing, telling them to lend more, and at the real economy and real estate and saying, I'm not sure I really want to. We see that in terms of household loans. New household loans in the month of December were just 147 billion RMB, 
which is half of what it was in November and somehow less than it had been in December of 2022, despite China just emerging from lockdowns and experiencing a wave of pandemic and of infections. So 147 billion continues the string of weakness in household loans, which is about mortgages. It's about the real estate and property sector that again shows no sign of being turned, no sign of stabilizing, let alone being turned around by what Beijing is offering. In terms of the total social financing statistics, again, a different form of overall credit. Uh, if aggregate financing to the real economy, which is a flow of credit of all kinds into the real economy, as the name implies, that came out as 1.94 trillion uh, RMB in the month of December. That was down from 2.45 trillion in November, but that was still substantially more at least than December 2022, which was 1.31 trillion. But the reason, again, wasn't because China's economy is turning around or China's banking system is doing more to turn the economy around. Instead, the reason was government bonds. When you look at just RMB loans in the TSF figures, what you see is just 1.17 trillion in December, which was just barely more than November, and only 484 billion in October, which was a revised figure, revised down by quite a lot. So you put those together, the fourth quarter of 2023, in terms of RMB loans, new RMB loans into the real economy, was only 2.77 trillion, which was less than 2022 lockdown months, less than 2020, 21, even less than 2019 before the pandemic. So when you look at these credit statistics, what they're telling you is China's banks do not want to lend. Even though the government is breathing down their necks, even though the government is sending messages to bankers as well as rocket, uh, rocket officials, that they're not going to accept opposition. But China's banks are still looking at the situation and saying, we'll do just the basic minimum here. We'll do just the bare minimum here. We're not going to expand our balance sheets because something isn't, isn't right as far as what they're seeing. And we don't need to guess what that is. Again, the economy is not picking up. The real estate problem is as much a problem today as it was when you first heard Evergrande. In fact, it's a bigger problem when you're outside of China in terms of euro bonds and financing that way. But essentially, when you step back and look at all of it, China continues to move in that same direction. You've got economic instability that no matter what the authorities over there do, they cannot stabilize the situation. By the way, CNY is still around 717 to the dollar. As they're not able to stabilize the situation, that creates a whole bunch of avenues for political instability. Now, while they can, they can phrase this and they can call it and they can say it's reform, it seems a little too coincidental here that the worse China's economy gets, the more the authorities throw at the economy and it doesn't work, the more likely there's going to be opposition. And in a situation that Xi Jinping finds himself in, the more likely he's not going to accept that situation. Therefore, he continues to purge the top ranks of the Chinese Communist Party, its military, its civilian infrastructure, sending a message. This is the way it's going to be. We're going to do things my way, no matter what the consequences might be in terms of economy and finance. We'll try to continue to keep the situation from spiraling out of control, but you better get used to it because that's how it's going to be. And the more that continues, the instability that comes along with it, 
the greater the danger of being unable to control the downside. That's, I think, what's really behind all this. And I think Xi Jinping knows it to a certain extent, which is why he's lashing out as aggressively and as unambiguously as we have seen in China for many, many, many years here. Check out that interview, Jim Rickards. That's the video I got linked below me. Lots to say, a lot of interesting stuff there. And if you want the rest of the interview, got to become a Eurodollar University member or subscriber. If you are a Eurodollar University member or subscriber, I cannot thank you enough. And I thank you very much for joining me. And until next time, take care.